Today's podcast is brought to you by Horizons Resolve Adaptive Asset Allocation ETF, which trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol HRAA and is sub-advised by Resolve Asset Management. HRAA is an alternative fund whose investment objective is to seek long-term capital appreciation by investing directly or indirectly in major global asset classes, including, but not limited to, equity indices, fixed income indices, interest rates, commodities, and currencies. HRAA gains exposure to these asset classes by investing in derivative instruments that may include future contracts and forward agreements and securities. HRAA will take long or short positions, using up to a maximum of three times leverage in asset classes such as equity indices and fixed income asset classes, commodities, currencies, volatility indices, and other alternative asset classes. HRAA could provide balance to your portfolio by harnessing three unique investment styles. The first is an actively managed global risk parity portfolio to provide maximally diversified global exposure in optimal risk balance. The second is a proprietary systematic global macro process that attempts to profit from short-term market moves, going both long and short on more than 50 global markets. Finally, HRAA uses a dynamic tail protection overlay that attempts to profit from large moves in volatility markets. To learn more about this, please visit www.horizonsetfs.com HRAA to read about the ETF's investment objectives and important disclaimers about the risks associated with an investment in the ETF. Welcome to Gestalt University, hosted by the team of Resolve Asset Management, where evidence inspires confidence. This podcast will dig deep to uncover investment truths and life hacks you won't find in the mainstream media, covering topics that appeal to left-brain robots, right-brain poets, and everyone in between, all with the goal of helping you reach excellence. Welcome to the journey. Okay, welcome, welcome gentlemen. Hey, Matt. Cheers to another Friday Cheers afternoon. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Good I to see you, man. It's nice to see you guys. This is a real uh, for full circle moment for me. It's a, it's a bit surreal. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Now we miss each other so much. We, we're all we're all coming to work for you now. I, <laughs> I, I can't imagine that that'll ever be the case. I'll he's more adopted our. Um, he's he's adopted the same ABCs that we used to to, to knock on him, right? Except it's right? it's always be compassionate. Exactly. <laughs> Always oh, be wow. compassionate with yourself. Precisely. There you go. Nice. I love it. I love it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Well, we'll start off with I. You know, I don't know that we'll have much investment advice today, uh, but we will we'll be talking about mental health and all of these things should be dealt with with professionals. Uh, but we hope to provide opportunities if anyone's in need to reach out and all that sort of thing. Um, so I'll say that before we start, so that we can have a wide ranging and free discussion amongst us uh, four gentlemen. And the topic today is uh, men's mental health. And we have um, a, a former colleague of ours and dear friend of ours who worked in uh, worked in the world of finance, which is a very high paced, very stressful uh, environment and largely male dominated. That's changing, of course. And, and there are more and more women entering the field, thankfully, and hopefully that will help balance things out in, in the, the field of finance. But uh, maybe, Matt, it would be great for you to sort of um, give your career arc where you came from, where you started, how you progressed into Tether, and just to let everybody know um, who you are and, and uh, how you got here. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll, I'll try and make the story as concise as I possibly can. I'm trying to learn how to shoehorn it into a much smaller segment. But um, 
this is actually a really interesting moment because I've actually never told this story of my career arc um, in Keep front of you guys day. with the context of, of what we're talking. What'd you say? Keep it clean. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so, I mean, I, I, I mean, you guys know this, but uh, you know, I mean, I've dealt with mental health and well, you know, wellness issues my entire life. I, um, you know, I came from a very good home here in Toronto, um, and you know, had anything a person could ever want growing up. Uh, one of the big things that happened to me when I was a kid was from the, you know, from grade two to six, uh, I was bullied pretty much every day in a pretty merciless fashion, and. Um, my parents, you know, did everything that they could uh, financially. They worked very hard, uh, very supportive. Uh, but I always felt this kind of like emotional dislocation, lack of connection with them. And I, I don't really know why that was the case. But the combination of those two things always kind of left me feeling like a bit of an outsider. And so there was this hole that I had, uh, as I describe it, that uh, I would try and fill in a variety of different ways. Uh, as I went through ad adolescence, late teenage years, and then into my career. And so when I was when I was young, when I was about 12, 13 years old, uh, it was food. So I, you know, I would I would, you know, binge as much food as I could eat, I would make myself purge, I was never diagnosed, but very likely, uh, I was bulimic. And then that's one of the things that you know, we don't hear a lot about uh, is uh, eating disorders in men. And it's typically characterized as something that only women suffer with, but there's a huge swath of men uh, that deal with eating disorders. So that was an early teenage thing. As I got into my later teenage years, it become, you know, drugs, alcohol, partying, and all in the all in the interest of wanting to fill it, fit in, wanting to feel like I was a part of. Um, I never really felt like I was a part of, and that was a huge theme for me uh, as I grew up. I went to university, uh, didn't do very well when I went to Western. I was very much more concerned with like extracurricular activities than I was with actual class. Uh, I ended up leaving Western, uh, finishing my studies at U of T. Uh, and then what I swapped for partying when I was at Western was I, I swapped that for achievement once I got to, to U of T. And so I ended up graduating top of my class. Uh, as you guys know, I started my CFA designation while I was in undergrad joined you immediately after graduating uh, and then put all of my effort and, and attention into looking as good as possible and looking like a success from the outside. Um, and, you know, in a few short years, I was, you know, I was able to make portfolio manager with you guys, I think by the time I was about uh, 27 years old. And uh, I, I don't get to do this part uh, because I usually breeze past it, but the, the, the opportunity that I was given uh, to sit in on high level conversations with you to be part uh, of like strategic thinking and strategic de decision making uh, the training that I received throughout my years uh, at Resolve and then I mean what was most important to me was the support and the space that I was given when I was really really struggling uh, to be able to take care of myself while never actually fearing for the work, you know, and my job and my income. And that was something that you guys blessed me with. And it's something that I will always, um, and this is where I knew I was going to actually probably cry was actually saying this part. Um, but it's something that I'll, you know, I'll be forever grateful for. Um, and, you know, while things looked really good on the outside, you know, had a house, wore a nice suit to work, you know, had more money than, you know, I, I, I needed. Uh, inside, I was still very much hollow and very much dying. And uh, I tried to, I tried to chase that away 
with with success and but you know inevitably i would always have to come home at the end of the night and i was there with myself and i would try and numb it out i would turn off the lights you know i i, I would really try and shut out from the world um and that was going to be my pattern in, unless something intervened um and it was in 2018 actually that something happened outside of my control uh that really changed my world in a profound way um i you know i was living in toronto i was working for you guys and uh I was living in a townhouse development uh, uh, in in west the western part of Toronto. Um, I don't know is is a little bit of swearing okay on this, or do we try and keep it totally? Absolutely, fuck okay, yeah, perfect. There, you go. there we go. I so I, I was one night I was out on my balcony, and I remember it very vividly. I was out on my balcony. Um, I was having a beer, and there was a silhouette of a guy on a balcony across from me. And, and this is a bit earlier, actually, than 2018, so I'll just backtrack a little bit. But I heard a voice come out from that balcony and said, hey, man, who the fuck are you? And I had literally just moved into this place. Um, and I was like, I'm Matt. What's going on? He's like, my name's Christian. Anyways, that night progressed. The guy ends up coming over with his roommate. We have a few beers, watch the Raptors game. Nobody had cable yet except for me. So my spot was, like, pretty, pretty primo at that point. Pretty dope. <clears throat> And that was like the beginning of, of a really amazing friendship. And and Christian for me was one of those guys where I could talk about, you know, whatever it was, we could shoot the shit. But then at the same time, like I knew that he had been through the same things that I had been through. Um, and and I knew we would we were able to relate on a, a on a much deeper level and have those real conversations about what we were struggling with. Uh, and then in 2018, uh, he developed a pneumonia very early in the year, in early January. Um, and one day... Uh, he started, you know, puking in his bathtub and his roommate at the time said, okay, you know, this pneumonia is not getting any better. It's actually getting a little bit worse. We're going to take you to the hospital. So they called the emergency. Uh, uh, they called the, the EMTs. They came to the house. They actually couldn't get the gurney up the stairs. And this is all a story that I've been told. They couldn't get the gurney up the stairs. So they had to walk him out of the building. Um, and as he was taking his last step to get on the gurney, he dropped to the ground uh, and never ended up getting up. Um, I was actually napping at the time. Uh, across the way and I remember waking up on a Sunday and feeling like something was terribly wrong uh, and then I got the call at about six o'clock that night and found out that Christian had died um, and that was I think when something like that happens to a person you can kind of go one of two ways in life you can kind of either go down this this path of I'm just going to live every day like it's my last or you go down the what does it all mean path. Um, and as an introspective, I definitely went down that latter path. Um, and I went to a place of, you know, deep depression. I couldn't get out of bed. I was so anxious that I could, you know, I could barely leave the house. Obviously, I went on mental health leave uh, with you guys. And I was always, you know, I'm forever grateful uh, for that opportunity to take that space for myself. But um, I, the way that I always put it is like, I didn't want to live anymore, but I didn't want to die. And I didn't know what to do in that moment. And I think a lot of, you know, I think a lot of, and we'll talk specifically about men in a little bit, but I think a lot of people get to that point where they don't know what the next step is, but they they still want to be around, but they don't want to just be surviving and existing. They want something more. Um, and so I, I started, I, it was therapy, it was medication, it was experimental treatments. I literally tried everything that you could possibly try to, to to get better in some way and it wasn't until i found a, a peer support group actually a friend of mine referred me to it here in toronto that things started to shift and um, by this point i actually i think i had returned to work with you guys and i was just i was barely getting by i was barely able to get to the office in the morning 
I was barely able to function and do anything. <clears throat> and there was a, an overwhelming guilt that I felt as well because I was just surviving the days. Um, and he told me to go to this group. And in that first group, I, I sat down and I said, I can't perform. Uh, I can't get out of my own head. I can barely get out of bed to go to work in the morning. I don't want to live. I don't want to die. And I don't know what to do. Um, and I think in those situations, like oftentimes, you know, we get uncomfortable hearing that from another person, right? Um, and it's because, you know, we simply just don't have practice around receiving that kind of thing from another human being. Um, but in this group, um, it was very much a safe space where, you know, it could actually hold things like that. And what I remember from that first meeting was, um, what I remember from that first meeting was that I just, they, they didn't tell me like, you know, maybe you should go work out more, or, you know, change your diet or, you know, all of these things. They just sort of said, you know what, we care about you. Thank you for being here. Um, we hope you come back next week and we care about you. Um, and I don't know, I didn't know it at the time, but something shifted internally for me at that meeting. And I kept going back. And then in April, 2019, um, I, I went on this men's retreat uh, down in, in, in Massachusetts. And again, I had this profound shifting experience and it was, it was all around connection. I felt, you know, like I had reconnected with a part of myself that had been dead for a long period of time. Uh, and when I came back on that Monday, um, I don't know, I don't think I ever told you this, but I came back on a Monday and I sat down at my desk the next day on the Tuesday and I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I just sort of knew. Um, and it wasn't very long after that that, you know, I, uh, I decided that I, I, I was going to leave Resolve and, and, and pursue something else. Um, and again, throughout the process, feeling immensely supported. And I think one of the lessons, if, if you're in the finance industry, you know, there is very much a tough it out, just get it done, grind it through type of a mentality. Um, and so if you are watching this and you are in a leadership position, you know, one of the best things that ever happened to me was working for people that gave me the space to get better. Um, and, and we don't see that enough in finance and in other high pressure professional industries uh, because it's a performance based system. But a person can't perform if they're not well. And, and that I, I know that from firsthand experience. And I kind of meandered a little bit for, for a summer there after, uh, after uh, you know, after, uh, you know, I left Resolve. And uh, and then I was just having coffee with a friend one day and we were having this innocuous conversation and I had started to dig a little bit into why I was feeling the same way. And I started to realize that there were other men that were feeling the same way as well. Um, and the statistics started to really pop out at me. And 77% uh, of men are dealing with some form of stress, anxiety, or depression. And yet 40% of men report that it would take thoughts of suicide or self-harm in order to actually begin seeking help. So not, not, not actually get help, but even just begin the process of seeking help. And furthermore, uh, men suffer from uh, alcohol uh, addiction and, and drug abuse uh, at a much higher incidence than women do. And then the, probably the most scary stat of them all is that 75% of suicides uh, are committed by men currently. Uh, there's so much more that is under that. Um, but that is, you know, it was it was in that moment that day after, you know, the experience that I went through, what I had felt, what uh, where I felt like I, I could and could not share. Uh, and then just having this conversation, for some reason, a lot of things linked together in my mind, and it became very, very clear 
what I had to do. It was, you know, it was peer support. It was a community that honored the space uh, and provided a space where men felt comfortable sharing about struggle openly and being able to relate to other men on the basis of shared experience. So that is that is that sort of story. And, and I'm happy to go deeper into the problem, uh, how it relates to finance, absolutely everything. Just to, uh, so, so that was amazing. That And actually, there was, there was lots of elements of that that I wasn't, I think, fully aware of at the time um, mm-hmm. as, as you were sort of moving through those steps. Um, and just to allow you to a pause for breath, I think it's, um, um, it's, it's interesting because Jason, I think you've got a background that might, might sort of help relate to this a little bit. I remember meeting Mike and I met you at one point many years ago when you were running something called the trading tribe, right? Um, yep. which was, I mean, it's, I, I, I don't know if you would characterize it in sort of the same way as, as, um, kind of a men's support group. It had elements of that to my observation at the time, but I, I, I think you've got some interesting perspective to share on this from that baby. Do you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, um, the, um, the trading tribe experience basically was a, is largely men. I think the fact that it was trading and finance attracted men. We did have some some women, but the one word that you said there, Matt, that really stood out was uh, receiving. Um, and uh, uh, men generally um, want to solve problems very quickly, mm-hmm. um, jump to the you know just jump into action, find something logical, right to do, and and the idea of just receiving and listening or observing. Um, is is very hard for for most men to do, and mm-hmm. um, uh, for tri- tribe, I'll just describe kind of what we did really really quickly. And I think Adam and, and Mike, you participated obviously in in uh, at one point. I, I ran this group for about seven years, but we'd essentially um, uh, men have a hard time telling stories and getting into words sometimes. So we actually would focus mm-hmm. on the feelings either by directly observing a feeling or getting words until we saw feelings. And then we'd basically just validate and encourage and receive those feelings and encourage the feelings over and over and over again. And there was no advice um, and no judgment. So men were just allowed, largely men, would get into this. Uh, we'd just sort of follow the feeling around. You know, we get kind of weird um, because people would be squeezing their eyes or, or feeling that compression in their chest. We'd really accelerate that and emphasize mm-hmm. it. And it would just start to move around. And we'd, we'd validate and encourage that moving around. And effectively, I think what happened was parts of your brain just start to fall away. All the, the judges and all the judgments, because you're in a judgment-free zone, just start to fall away and drift away. Mm-hmm. And, and you're truly receiving at that point. And, and, it would allow an individual to have what I call an aha moment. And what, what I feel, and I remember this time with you, Matt, I, I distinctly remember the change in you. You and I went to, out to lunch shortly after that. You came back from that weekend and, and you were changed. You knew. And despite the fact you didn't know what you're going to do, you had this sense of calm and confidence that was beautiful to see. And, and um, you know, ultimately, I think the experience in a group with peers where you can um, feel free to send uh, and express yourself and be received in a judgment-free zone where people will actually encourage you to feel that more and and not judge or or uh, and the like. So I'm 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 proud of what you're doing and I'm I'm so happy to see you go in this direction. And it was really quite amazing to see, given the logic. If you wrote down on paper, I'm going to quit this 
great position and a great job with with a obviously a great group of guys uh, and, uh, and go <laughs> off and don't really know what you're going to do. Like good for you and you're doing something that's really truly uh, making the world better. Uh, and I'm I'm excited about talking more about this uh, this today. Mm-hmm. Just how to you, put that. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say just just to put a uh, just to follow that rabbit hole all, all the way down because I think it's for for men it's it's um hard to give yourself permission sometimes to sort of start to think this way and and to talk about this kind of stuff and I think it's useful to um to to follow that rabbit hole of trading tribe down to the mm-hmm. origin of that which I think was from Ed Zakota if I'm not Correct. if I'm not wrong yep. right yep. um who, so maybe just dwell very quickly on that because I think it's it's sort of like at the very top end of of finance one of the most successful traders in history this was something that he practiced. And, and so mm-hmm. I think that that's a useful thing for people to hear. Yeah. Uh, Ed Sekota profiled in the book Market Wizards, which for uh, many, uh, many folks is, uh, you know, one of the the key books in their library if you're interested in, in trading. And uh, um, so I got the opportunity to to meet him uh, many years ago. And uh, he had run in uh, Incline Village, the trading tribe there uh, for, for many, many years. And I started... Uh, a tribe in Canada, uh, the first one in Canada, I think one of the first ones uh, outside of uh, Incline Village. And uh, he was a, a great support in uh, uh, helping to encourage that. And before you knew it, I think there were 15 or 20 tribes around uh, North America. Um, so uh, actually the world for that matter. And there, there still are. Um, and it's, uh, I've often thought to myself that it's, it's, it, it's really much more, it goes way beyond uh, trading. Uh, it's it, it. All the issues we dealt with were never really trading related. Trading would be an entry point um, to to you know uh, some of the issues. So, if, if for example, if you have a, an issue hanging on to things and you can't let go, whether it's a you know that expresses itself in a position that you're trading, but more importantly, it's often relationships um, or commitments or mm-hmm. other things in your life or a, a belief in your identity. So you think you're something and you're not, but you, you, you think you are and you, you, you need to let it go, whatever it may be. Um, uh, it, it's, it's just very, very uh, fascinating. He's got a, uh, he, he just did a fantastic job and still does uh, in, in this space. And again, he's not a professional therapist. None of us are. Um, we're just mm-hmm. uh, like all of us going through life, facing some challenges, uh, getting professional help, when we need it, which I encourage everybody to do. I think you should go to the mentist like you do the dentist. Um, like, so m- mental health just needs to be a regular checkup and check-in. And, you know, what you're doing with Tether um, provides a great way to introduce people to getting more comfortable just expressing themselves. I was on the on the app last night in the last few days and just observed what's, what, what um, you know, people are expressing and, it's it's I just think it's fantastic and it's it's a great way to begin begin the process and be heard. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd encourage uh, anybody to look at uh, getting into a, a, a peer group uh, such as the one you're you're working with. Um, yeah. and, and cheers, cheers to Ed. Uh, he's, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I ran that for seven years and uh, I'm uh, frankly looking to get back into something like that again because I I. You feel because you, you work the, with me. Is that what you're yeah, saying? As I work with, with these guys, <laughs> I've got the polar opposite experience of you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, you know, it's but it's just regular maintenance. Like you can get to a point where you feel great and you've got, you know, uh, and, and you, you, you can be at risk of feeling you don't need it. We all need it. We need it all the time. And we just need to make it a regular practice like mm-hmm. working out or, or fitness or your diet. You can have, you can go off the rails now and then, but ultimately it's, it's, uh, it's just good to try to maintain. And, and I want to kind of jump in on that. And, and you were talking about letting go of certain structures and whether that's positions and things like that. And what's really interesting about the work that you were doing, right, where you're going actually into the body and how it feels. And, and what's interesting is there's a mechanism that's going on right there. Uh, so a feeling that we have isn't something that actually originates in our brain. It actually originates uh, in our bodies. Um, and all feelings, you know, all emotions that we have uh, will initially originate as a physiological sensation in our bodies, right? We have a lot more nerve endings in our stomach than we do actually in our brains. And so what ends up happening is you you start to feel something in your body, right? There's, you know, let's, we can talk about, you know, I don't believe there's any good or bad emotions. I just think that there's constructive and destructive reactions to them right? Um, nothing is labeled as good or bad. And, and, you know, I think what we try and what we try and put forward is this idea of honoring whatever it is that is coming up for you. Uh, because by honoring it, you allow yourself to be with it. And then there's a natural arc of the feeling that actually allows itself to resolve itself. Uh, yeah, there we go. Resolves itself. Um, and, and it actually creates, um, it actually creates a new neural pathway uh, in the brain. And that's actually how you start to begin building a, a certain type of resilience, which is like an emotional resilience. But what's interesting is you start to notice like with anxiety, it's a tension in the chest, or sometimes people get numbness uh, in their body. Or if there's fear, it, it's something we often say, I've got this bad feeling in my gut, right? And so it's a physiological response that our brain then interprets. And then based on the story that we've been conditioned with over our lives, and we all have stories that we've been conditioned with through how we grew up, how we were raised, the experiences that we have, we begin to interpret these physiological sensations as like things. And we we just put a label to it. Oh, I'm anxious, or I'm always anxious, or this happens because, you know, this happened to me when I was a child. And so what we try and do and what you were really identifying there is this process of, of dropping in with the physiological sensation and then putting a, a feeling label to it without an associated story. So if there's tension, just identifying that you're anxious and not actually saying I'm, an, I'm anxious because right? So actually Mm -hmm. dropping all of that. And if you can start to learn to be with that specific emotion, right? And just being like, I am anxious, and that is okay, you start to your brain actually starts to de identify with the story. And then you start to think, well, what else do I not identify with? What else, you know, is 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 part of this construct that I built in my brain from an ego perspective, and you start to actually, you know, you go from this latched on ego, this is who I am, this is my structure to something that's actually observing it. And that is something that our ego doesn't want us to do because our ego is primarily concerned with keeping us safe. And so if we de-identify with our story, what ends up happening is it ends up undermining a lot of the survival mechanisms that we've put in place. So, you know, for somebody that maybe was abandoned as a child, they hold on to things because it's their survival mechanism mechanism. Mm -hmm. It's how they protect against being abandoned. So 
it's really interesting what you were saying with that because you, you do actually become a better trader you become a better operator you just become better when you actually start to de-identify with your story and i think one of the big ways that you do that is by allowing yourself to what i call is just ride the emotion like we think that you know when we're anxious or fearful or anything like that that the emotion's either going to kill us or it's going to last forever at least that's what our brain says again the ego, the brain is a survival mechanism. It's not actually there to make you happy. It's there to help you survive, right? And so one of the biggest practices for me is like when I've been in those situations, as opposed to trying to go find something to deal with that, or, you know, whether it's, you know, calling somebody or, you know, you know, soothing in some way, what I like to do now is I'll actually lie down on my couch I'll put headphones in. I won't put anything on, but I'll put one hand on my chest and one hand on my diaphragm, which are two major centers uh, in the body. And I will say, I'm safe, I'm anxious, and that's okay. And I'll just keep doing that. And the more, so there's a, there's a curve that happens. You end up riding this curve. The feeling apexes. This is where we think it's actually going to kill us. It plateaus, uh, and then it starts to dissipate. And the more you actually stay with something without without actually latching it on the 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 shorter that curve actually becomes the less you're actually in that state of fight or flight or that panic mode and that's where resilience comes in it's actually not that you will never feel those things again it's actually that you're just shortening the time that you actually feel something because you're grooving a new neural pathway and so when that emotion ends up coming up again your brain's like oh okay yeah no i've been here before it's actually not that bad it takes about 20 minutes and then i feel better and this is all happening on a subconscious basis. It's not anything that's actually cognitive or in the frontal lobe, but it's only by actually experiencing and going through that repeatedly that we actually build those new neural pathways and those new grooves. And then we can actually shorten and shorten and shorten the reaction time to the point where it's like, oh, it's like, I feel anxious. What's that? Oh, it's that story again. Okay, moving on. And you can actually start to really have that uh, and, and that's where, you know, people just sort of it, like the people that kind of walk through life. And it seems like, you know, the, the people that are like truly enlightened. And I'm not just saying like have that natural disposition, but like truly enlightened have been through hell um, and just sort of walk with that lightness in life. They've gone through that enough where they realize that they're not their story. They're not what their brain is telling them. And they actually don't believe their thoughts. And that's actually one of the best things is when you can learn to actually not believe what your brain is telling you, it's a scary thing, but that, that detachment from story is so powerful and it actually leads to so much more space and freedom. Um, and for me, it's just, it's helped me operate so much better in the world. Yeah. That, that, I, I like that a lot. And I think you can essentially learn to observe the feeling and recognize most feelings, all feelings have a positive intention. Um, and sometimes it's just, just, uh, you know, to observe and allow it to be there. And I think one of the real strengths I found of a group was, um, the ability to uh, bring you, uh, through some of those, those, those points you mentioned where it's kind of as far as you can go on your own, I believe you can go farther with a group because, uh, others will encourage and validate and, and bring you, uh, uh, it's okay. To, to go to a place that you may not be comfortable going. But as a group, uh, it seems like those those barriers are a little easier to uh, um, to get through. And, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we spend a lot of time resisting feelings as opposed to kind of uh, 
allowing them or even just observing them. So that's, I, 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 I'm, that's your, your spot on. Oh, that's I say that, the science in there. Yeah. I, I would say that that's very true. Like when you fight the feeling or suppress it, it's not been dealt with. And so the part of the process is feeling the feeling, not suppressing it, not ignoring it, but feeling it. Mm-hmm. And then observing the things that come out of that feeling. I mean, taking it back to trading, George Soros would talk about his sore back and then he would exit trades, mm-hmm. right? And there was something else going on that he was observing in his subconscious that was manifesting, but he was self-aware enough to realize that this there was this connection, this quantum physical connection between these things that was trying to manifest but couldn't be explained, it would, it would seem. And I, I think that... You know, a feeling is happening for a reason. And so, you know, rather than suppress or fight it, feel it. Mm-hmm. And yep. then, like you say, observe it. And and, and the, the challenge, though, becomes, so, so when, when, you, when it won't go away or you've observed it and felt it, and when you're in that sort of feedback loop, it's really hard. And I wonder, Matt, if you have any, any experience or, or how do you, how do you get through that? Like for all of us, I mean, I have those times too. And, and you just are like this, I can't shake it. I have recognized it. I have felt it. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're, you're in the washing machine, right? And it's not stopping. So, so how does that, I mean, I do get the group, right? You can't, you sit there and talk to yourself by yourself. Often you don't do that. So just mm-hmm. by verbalizing with a group of, of other like-minded individuals, that's very helpful and oftentimes you'll be explaining something to somebody and then in your explaining of it, you, you kind of realize what the solution is. Um, but you can't do that on your own. You can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, so to speak. So mm-hmm. how, what are the, are there any tips or advice for when you're in that hard part where it, it the, the, the examples that we're giving don't work? Yeah. Well, I think, I think there's a couple of things that are going on there. Um, and Jason kind of alluded to it a little bit uh, before, but it's it's like when we get in that loop, it's that we're asking our brain, in my mind, the wrong question, right? And so the brain is brain is a, is designed to actually answer the questions that we give it, right? So if we keep asking ourselves, why do I feel so fucked up? The brain is going to answer the question, why do I feel so fucked up, right? So if we can actually change the framing of the question. Uh, of like, why am I feeling this? Well, if it's why am I feeling this, you're going to get an answer to why am I feeling this? And one of my favorite reframes is like, how is this feeling actually serving? Right? How is this feeling actually trying to protect me? Right? Mm -hmm. So just by asking the brain a better question, and for me, this is best done uh, in meditation, Mike, I know that you meditate regularly, and it's been a part of your morning routine for a long period of time. And so what I actually like to do with that is I'll actually say, okay, this is something that's, you know, been been kind of biting at my heels a little bit, right? So let's say it's, uh, you know, why do I feel so anxious, right? So what I will do is, as opposed to asking that question, I will actually then write down on a piece of paper, I'll say, how is this anxiety actually serving me? And very often, what you end up finding is that there's a reason that it's there. And so for me, you know, uh, for a lot of years, my anxiety was actually there as a way for me to perform. 
right? And there was this fear that it's like, if I didn't have this anxiety, if I didn't have this thing that was actually pushing me, that I would just be like a, a wasting lump on the couch, right? And that I wouldn't do anything. And if I didn't do anything, I wouldn't be good enough. And if I wasn't good enough, then I would feel like I did as a kid. And if I felt like I did as a kid, I wouldn't want to go on anymore. So you just start to follow that, you know, naturally down the rabbit hole. But there's a reason why our brains are protecting us in that way. And it's usually to protect us from feeling something that's actually a much deeper wound than what we think it is. And there's usually like a core belief that's sitting rooted at the bottom of that. And in my experience, it's usually I'm not worthy. Uh, I'm not good enough. I'm unlovable in some way. And, and there's some connection to something that happened in childhood, uh, whether it was an unmet need uh, that we didn't get, whether, and it's usually from a parent because those are our biggest formative relationships. Maybe there's an actual uh, incident, a trauma, a specific trauma. And there's one incident that always, that I've done a lot of work on personally, that was very much connected to the reason why I just didn't feel safe in the world. Right. It always, and that was my, my system was always kind of on high alert. And it was like, there was always, you know, somebody around the corner and I had to like, you know, get the bat ready kind of thing. Um, but what I would say just to that is like, one, maybe ask a better question, right. Two, also, you know, don't be afraid of what's coming up because the problem is, is that if we think it's like, it's, it's, if we're dealing with it on the surface level, if we're dealing with it on the actual problem level, there's usually something a lot deeper down there that we actually don't want to look at. And so our brain stops us here because it actually doesn't want to look at this thing that may be a lot more painful, a lot more, it's going to take a lot more time to work through. You might have to go to therapy to talk about it. You may need to join a men's group. You may actually need to do a little bit of work around it, but there's something that you're not looking at there. And there's something that you don't want to look at. And it's not because of any unwillingness on your part. It's actually literally just your brain protecting you because it knows that shit's going to be painful, right? So if you can start to follow that and, and sort of start to identify root causes and know also that 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 loop is actually protective. Everything that your brain does is fundamentally about protecting you from pain and protecting you from your own annihilation. Our brains are amazing survival machines, right? So there is a reason that it's there. And then once, once in my case, once I've actually found the root cause of that, when I've been like, oh, okay, that's the, that's the reason why that's there. I usually try and sit with it and thank it for trying to, to be there. So I allow it into the space and I say, oh, you're just scared. And, and then I try, and, and this is actually parts mediation. So you can, have, there's a thing called internal family systems. Uh, there's all these different parts of us. Uh, there's a little boy, there's a critic, there's a, you know, there's all these little things that we can start to discover if we're willing to go kind of underneath the hood. But what what's really happening by being in that loop is you're not allowing that part to show up and you're not actually welcoming it into the party. And so, and this is again, why dropping into feelings and disidentifying with the thought loops that we have is such a powerful thing, because then it actually, if we can de-identify with our ego structure and we can de-identify with the thought loops that we're having, we can actually start to have a relationship with that thing. And once we develop a relationship with that thing, that's when we can actually resolve that issue. And that's when we become integrated. And the, and the feeling of integration is actually that feeling of peace and calm and serenity, whatever you want to call it, that I think we're all looking for. It's like, it's that moment when you just like, you're there and you're totally present and nothing needs to change. You don't need to be anything different. 
that's I think the feeling we're not looking for happiness. I believe I actually just think we're looking for peace. Yeah. I, I'm going to uh, launch on something there. So you mentioned the word be several times and I, I noticed that you've recently had an event about, about being, and I'd mm. like maybe your thoughts on, on being, and you even said being, and, and I think being lives on the vertical dimension. You're present mm. and you're, you're, you're there as opposed to doing, which is, you know, the future and the past. What, what have I done? What am I going to do? That type of thing. So, I'd love to hear your thoughts on being and doing um, uh, as it relates to men and mental health. I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, we're, thoughts there. We're, we're incredible doers. Uh, and by the way, mm-hmm. Mike, did that sort of that thing about the loop, did what I said it, kind of get to it? It does. I, I guess what, what we're saying is that we just haven't got there yet. So, so you're trying to feel this feeling. Yeah. And the loop is telling you the feedback loop, that you're re-experiencing the, the the anxiety or the feeling that you haven't felt it yet. Yes. And so that that is your that is your. Uh, it's not anything bad. It's just telling you you've got to go a little deeper here. There's something that's um, um, just you, you just you've got to ask a different question. It's, un- it's unresolved. There's something yeah. that's not yeah. it's not quite resolved. If, if yet. you if you roll through the loop a couple times and it's not resolved, you're asking the wrong question. Correct. Or you haven't gone deep enough, and so that is that is a reflective thing. So, so sorry to sorry to yeah, no, no, it's good, no, it's good to wrap that up. To make sure that I re- I like resolve that question, um, and that there was like something that was and and when it comes to being, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we you know men like to do right. We are very action oriented, and and it's something that is deeply wired within like you know the like primitive aspects of our brain. We were very much, we were fighters, we were warriors, we were providers, right? We didn't have time to be uh, when a woolly mammoth was like running after us and trying to like, you know, you know, fuck with our children and, you know, take our food and stuff like that. We had to be on guard for those things. But ironically enough, without all of the distraction that we have in modern life, you know, we were actually able to be a lot more. We were much more connected with the land. We were much more connected uh, with with spirit of, of some kind and depends on the cultural background that you're looking at. But every every society, civilization had some kind of a spiritual thing that they were very much connected to. Um, and, and we've kind of gotten on the hamster wheel. And I really believe that's because of this like outdated structure of, of you know, what we you know, where we're trying to get our man card stamped, basically. And, and, and what we've been told validates and makes a man, which is accomplishment, money, uh, you know, uh, providing. Uh, providing, right? All of these things. And all of those things are based in action and doing. And none of like, we don't value being as a society. There's no monetary value we associate with a person who's able to simply be. And if we look at the people who are best at being, I don't know, yeah, best at being, uh, we look at monks, we look at, uh, you know, we look at people who are in, in you know, in, in the spiritual realm. Uh, we look at people, but we don't necessarily associate any external value to that, right? We value guys that, you know, get up, fix problems, build companies, uh, close deals, right? That's, that's what we value. And that's what we validate people for by patting on the back and giving them a monetary reward so they can go buy a Beamer in a bigger house. We don't validate, like, I mean, Mike, like, have you ever been validated for meditating for 20 minutes in the morning by somebody? Has anyone ever paid you to do that? No. Except for no. you. 
Yeah, right? no, you're right. There's a few people that meditate as well that validate that for you because they do it as well. And right, but but there's nothing. There's not. You don't put any inherent value on a person. Like now, there's like a bit of like a hustle culture, and there's like a spiritual, a spiritual like hierarchy that we've started to build with people who are super woke, which I think is another another way that we're measuring ourselves in an act of doing for something where we're actually just trying to be. But there's there's no inherent value, and so it's very hard for us to slow down if we're if we're constantly measuring ourselves by what we do and what we achieve, sitting down and just sort of sitting there and twiddling your thumbs and breathing, you're like, I, I'm not getting anything from this. There's no validation. There's no, there's no dopamine boost, right? And our brains are very much wired to getting a dopamine boost um, and, and getting that kick and, you know, technology, all of these things, the pat on the back, the big check, the closed deal, all of that bumps our dopamine up and it wires us. We're like, yeah, we're basically like cocaine addicted rats, right? <laughs> that to like yeah. doing an achievement, right? Because like there's a much slower moving, but I think a much more meaningful chemical in the brain called oxytocin, right? And oxytocin is, a, it's like, imagine it's like, it's like the happiness chemical, but like on keto, it's slower burning, right? Um, it, it lasts over much longer periods of time. It's not that big rush and that dopamine boost that we get where, you know, we're like pumping ourselves full of carbs and we get that really big energy spike. Oxytocin is that piece. It's more that lasting feeling of well-being. Um, but dopamine is addictive, right? Achievement is addictive. Um, and that feeling that we get from it is addictive. So we literally just have to like beat it out of ourselves, train it out of ourselves uh, by doing things that are uncomfortable. So Ken Wilber has a, a, a sort of a, a, um, a context on this. He talks about lines and levels. So lines of development and levels of achievement. And okay. that always resonated with me because you, you talk about the monks, right? Very, very high self-actualization. So there's a line of development that they've achieved very high levels yeah. of, of um, uh, uh, enlightenment. Uh, but if you look at technological development, the development of food production or whatever, there, there are other lines where they haven't developed enough. And I think it's, it's just a, a matter of trying to have balance and develop yourself along many of these lines mm -hmm. in order that you can live um, a peaceful uh, existence, so to speak. So, so you know, society is going to put some domain on it. There's some some judgment on it, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to um, demonize. Maybe the I don't want to bash that, achievement that, either. Yeah, achievement, it, but in you balance. You don't try to start a company unless you <laughs> want to achieve something. Either. Correct. Correct. So I, I do think we want to. We want to be clear that yeah. this is not about just sitting on the couch all day and meditating. It's about no. having balance in the in in your self awareness and your enlightenment of your of whatever your purpose is that you, you're you're feeling at the time. And, and making sure that you're taking care of that line of development. You're not just ignoring it for this other line of development and achieving a higher level on that line. And, you know, you can see that um, in different societies, they have different development lines that they've, that they've focused on and it can create imbalance as well. So totally. I, I, I think it's I think important. It's, it's not being or doing that we're ultimately after some just be, some just do. We want to find that balance. Like so many things in life of being and doing being can inform your doing and vice versa. And it's kind of that 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 
balance we all we all need need to find. And so sometimes really important. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, it's thing. just sometimes there's parts of your life where you need to spend more time being because you're in a difficult situation. And then, and then there's other times where you're just doing, you just got to just find, find that balance and awareness of the uh, recognition of the two is, uh, I think is a, is a key, key factor. Right. And, 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 and I think the question is, is like, where are you getting your validation from? This is the thing. If you yes. are achieving from a place yes. where yes. It, yes. it feels good and right to you, and yep. it's something that is being drawn out of something that is your values and your desire, that's one thing. If you're doing it to please your parents, please your wife, you know, have a bigger car than the guy next door, have the better job, the title. So your validation is coming from external. That's never going to fill you up. And there's a really interesting hierarchy that we can look at, which is uh, purpose and meaning, um, identity, and then and then action. Right. So most people attack things from like a from like an actual uh, uh, an actions perspective. So it's like. I'm going to I'm going to go get up in the morning. I'm going to work out. I'm going to eat better. All of that type of stuff. But they actually don't deal with the identity piece that's sitting at the top, right? So the identity that we have for a lot of people that are unhealthy, right? It's that I, you know, I like for me it was like I'm a, I'm a heavy kid. Um, I'm unhealthy. I don't take care of myself. So if I don't deal with that core belief structure on some level and at some point, going to the gym and eating well just ain't going to happen. Right. So we actually have to invert it. And, and the question I said is like, so first off, where do you start from a purpose and meaning perspective that dictates what your identity is? And then if I'm a person that's here to love myself, care for myself, be healthy, be of service to other people, that dictates my identity. Right. So if my purpose is service, then my identity is one of giving. And then my actions will dictate that I give. Right. It be, it, because otherwise you're out of alignment and and you won't be able to do anything that you're out of alignment with, or at least not without significant external force, which will feel uncomfortable. If you are somebody that has a healthy like, let's say, like related to health. Right. I'm a healthy person. I'm a person who loves myself and takes care of myself. That will filter into your identity. And then very naturally, it'll filter down into the behaviors that you do, eating, exercise, meditation, time for yourself. All of those things. Self-care, you know, I, I it's such a I, I don't like the word self-care, but like all of the things that we do for ourselves um, become a lot easier if we come at it from a place of I actually care about the person that I'm doing this for. If you don't actually like yourself on a fundamental level, why would you quit drinking? Why would you quit smoking? Why would you go to the gym? Why would you take care of somebody that you disdain? So it almost it has to be from an inverted perspective. And you first have to deal with the fact that you got to start liking yourself a little bit, because if you don't like yourself, you're not going to do all the things that you need to do for yourself that are actually going to be, you know, in, in part of your, your well-being, your, good for your well-being. And I think that's where, you know, again, going to the gym, eating healthy, like so much of this becomes a status and an outward validation thing. And that's why those habits aren't sustainable for people. They are only sustainable for people that are actually, that care about themselves because it's in alignment with their identity. Otherwise it's just, you know, it's just a phase that you're going through. So I want to, um, I want to make sure that um, we have a chance to talk about how you are bringing some of these, um, these thoughts and, and the spirit of what you're trying to achieve um, to life with this, 
with this idea of yours, right? This, it's not just an app, like the app facilitates the, the vision, right? So Correct. what is, what is tether and how does it sort of facilitate the vision that you've been um, <laughs> talking about here today? Do we have another hour? Um, <laughs> That's why so, I wanted to make sure we got to it. <laughs> I, I know. Right. Um, so, I mean, I, I mean, I ultimately want Tether to be something that's not only like, you know, a global platform for men's mental health and well-being, but I think what's much more important is actually uh, this is a vehicle for massive, so massive social change and massive change in the way that uh, the, 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 the idealized masculine form is portrayed and what we, what we end up deifying in terms of like men. Right. So like moving from deifying men for being stoic, for being unemotional, for being successful, for being providers, can we actually swing the pendulum a little bit more in the other direction and actually, you know, build men that are actually vulnerable and honest and that have a positive attitude towards struggle uh, and things like that. And I'm not saying like there's definitely where the pendulum swings too much. Right. And I've experienced that personally where I'm just so in my struggle that you end up actually becoming a victim. And that's not healthy either. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to normalize struggle as something that is acceptable and masculine. Right. So the way that I've tried to uh, crystallize this is by saying I want to live with a soft front, but a strong back. Right. So I'm very much I, I'm very much compassionate. I'm empathetic. I want to serve. Uh, but I'm also not a pushover, right? And 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 so we think that these characteristics of being in touch with our feelings and being in touch uh, and being vulnerable are actually aspects of 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 weakness. But I've actually never been more confident in my life than I have been now when I'm actually vulnerable and honest, and I do have those spaces for myself where I can share openly and say, this is what's going on for me. And what's super important is this concept of holding space and modeling behavior. One of the biggest reasons why this isn't done is because either we didn't have it modeled to us uh, when we were kids, right? By our fathers, society, uncles, movies, like movies are like, and, and media, like really ingrained this idea of that masculine archetype of like stoic, unemotional, solves his own problems, all of those types of things. So because of that, what's really interesting is we're, we're all kind of walking around thinking that the other guy doesn't struggle and he has it all together. And inside we feel like this, you know, in a lot of cases, this crippled, small, tiny, unmasculine thing. And yet the other guy's walking around thinking the same thing too. So what's interesting is the more, the more unique you feel, the more universal your problem is. Right. And the problem is, is that we don't actually hold space for each other to express these things. We don't actually give uh, each other permission to express vulnerability, to express struggle. And I think the biggest thing is, is normalizing that relationship and also normalizing emotionally connected relationships between men. Like I have a tremendous amount of love for all of you. And we've said that to each other. I've, I've said that to you when, like, I'll say that to you now. And I've said that to you when I worked with you guys, right? Like love was never something that we had a hard time expressing, but that is not something that is actually expressed freely between men. And because we have connotations about what it means 
you know, to, to love another person. And in the context of like heterosexual partnerships between men and women, love is a very specific thing and usually connotes some kind of a sexual intimacy. But we're not talking about romantic love. We're just talking about love as a feeling, right? And you can feel close to somebody and you can love them and there doesn't need to be anything more to that. And I think that's a big thing that is is kind of hiding in the background all of this is our relationship with loving other people and for men like the only person especially heterosexual men uh for heterosexual men the only person that they've ever been genuinely you know uh emotionally vulnerable to in a lot of cases has been their opposite sex partner right and that also has been accompanied by physical intimacy and so when you're only route to emotional intimacy is actually through physical intimacy, you end up blocking yourself off because if you don't have that physical intimacy, you can't get to the emotional intimacy. So if I'm pushing that to the side, what I want to normalize is emotional intimacy between men. And what that is, is really just really connected, deep friendships. And what's super interesting about the guys that are on our platform is like, it's not that they really always want to talk about what they're struggling with. In fact, sometimes they don't want to talk about, they want to talk about football. They want to talk about stocks. They want to talk about whatever it is, but they want to be able to do that with another person that they know if, if, they needed to talk about their struggles if they needed to be emotionally vulnerable that that person would be capable of actually holding that and they don't have to be afraid of actually expressing what they're really feeling that's what creates the connection that's what creates depth right and that's really what um, i think creates such a richness in our lives is having relationships that have depth to them as opposed to a service one of my one of my buddies uh mentioned to me uh in, in sort of in, in common, one of my buddies who, uh, you know, has, has, has been to our groups and has experienced the app and all of that kind of stuff. What he said to me was, uh, you know, real life is kind of like a hockey interview, right? It's all at the surface. Nobody says anything. You know, we dug hard in the corners. We gave a really strong team effort. Okay. I'm going to go back to the locker room ungear and on to the next game. Right. That's the way a lot of our, our, our interactions are, especially with men and especially in finance, right? Think about how often you're in, like, you are in a relationship with your clients, whether you like it or not. You are in a relationship with the people that you buy and sell with, especially the people that you transact with frequently. How often when we get on the phone do we say, hey, how's it going? Oh, yeah, pretty good. How are you? Not bad. Okay, so, and then we just dive into business. But we never actually stop and say, no, but, like, how are you actually doing? What's, what's going on? Right? Where we don't, we don't explore the depth ever. Right. And it's because we're actually terrified of being vulnerable because we know that inside we're not feeling so great either. But if if there was more permission to have those conversations more permission to have those relationships, I just think it enriches all of our lives. So I long term, what, what do I want it to be? I mean, I want us to be at the forefront of men's you know, mental and emotional health. I want you to get whatever you need for your mental health, for your physical well-being through our platform. But I think, and this is kind of why we we chose the slogan for our, you know our brand of "We Fuck with Feelings." I think this is about empowerment in a lot more ways. I think this is about men's empowering men to be emotionally healthy and to be emotionally deep and to have depth in their relationships. And so the reason why we taught we 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 use "We Fuck with Feelings" is because it's kind of playful. It's approachable. It's like, yeah, I'm the type of guy 
Like I, I, I fuck with my feelings. Like it, it can be something that is empowering to a person. So I think on a much larger scale, this is a reframing of male identity and a reframing of, 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 you know, genderized norms that we've had that are really killing more men than it's actually helping. And if we look at the statistics, we've been living with this outdated structure of masculinity for a long period of time. 75% of suicides are committed by men. Almost 80% of men are dealing with some kind of an emotional well-being issue. Men are underutilizing mental health and well-being services by 50% right now. And we over-index for drug addiction, alcoholism, and, and, and self-harming behaviors. That's not good. <laughs> That's just not good, right? So that system ain't working. So, like, let's try something a little bit different. There's an enormous resources being put towards... Uh, mental health and well-being i think in the certainly in the last 5 10 uh, 15 years certainly in my career from the, the day i started to to today it's uh it's 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 awesome to see um and you're you're right in there uh and and i'm proud of that what else do you see in the industry what, what other areas are, do you find exciting right now uh or hold promise uh going forward from here. Uh, there's a but what's interesting is actually even though we do have the proliferation of more accessible cheaper mental health and well-being services uh, and they're more accessible uh, for and more widely available in corporations men are still not actually using them that's the yeah. interesting thing um, and that's the permission piece and that's the modeling piece right and that's where the actual identity structure needs to be flipped in order for men to actually be utilizing the proliferation of services that we're actually seeing. There's a couple of interesting areas um, right now. I mean, uh, you know, digital therapy is becoming pretty much ubiquitous right now. And, and I think, you know, that's going to continue. Uh, we're seeing a wealth of peer support communities uh, exist out there. We're actually the first ones that are doing this exclusively for men, um, which is, it's kind of cool to be, first to something, um, even though it's terrifying and uncertain and all of those good things. Um, so that's a big, and, and peer support, I think necessarily has to be part of the digital mental health landscape. And a big reason for that is because even if everyone could afford, and that's where we're, we're heading, everyone will be able to afford and in some way have access to some form of therapy. I hope that that's the case. But even if that was the case, you would not have enough practitioners to satiate that demand. So California actually just passed legislation within the last month and a half or so. And Gavin Newsom actually created a bill uh, that created a process for validating people as peer support specialists. So that's going to be part of the mental health landscape. It's going to be indelible. Um, the other thing is uh, obviously alternative treatments, right? Uh, psychedelics uh, are going to be a big part of the landscape going forward. Uh, you know, you're starting to see later and later stages, stage trials, uh, for things like MDMA therapy, psilocybin-assisted therapy, ketamine-assisted uh, therapy. Um, and there's huge potential, and I know that not only because I've, I've utilized those treatments myself, I have done psychedelics in a therapeutic and safe setting. Um, I have done ayahuasca in, in a safe setting, and I put that out there, and I say, don't just go do this. You need to have trust with the provider. Please, for God's sakes, do your research on this know what you're getting yourself into and make sure that you're safe doing it. Uh, I've done it obviously because I, I was, I would go to the ends of the earth to do, you know, to do my healing work. So <laughs> plant medicine, psychedelics, 
in a guided setting, ketamine, MDMA, psilocybin, those are all going to be a big part of the landscape. And we see like Field Trip has uh, has listed publicly. There was another company in Canada that went uh, that went uh, public on the venture exchange about uh, I think it was two or three months ago in November uh, that has uh, you know um, uh, facilities in Costa Rica, in Amsterdam, and then I believe also in Utah. Uh, I think it was Utah that's decriminalized ketamine assisted therapy only for specific things. So that's a big part of the landscape, I think, going forward. Um, and then all of the diagnostics, right? You know, better brain imaging, uh, better understanding of how the brain works. Um, I think all of that's going to start to play into it. Um, and then the meditation space and the mindfulness space. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's already huge. I mean, Calm, Headspace are both billion dollar companies. I don't think that's going anywhere. Uh, and then you have really interesting products like, um, oh, I'm forgetting uh, Muse, which is a, a headband that you wear that actually monitors your brain waves as you uh, as you meditate. And so I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a confluence of all of these things. Uh, and then you know VR and all of these other pieces, AI VR. Uh, you know, imaging, te- better imaging technologies, it's all going to emerge, it merge into solutions that we don't see right now. Um, but all of these technologies are being, you know, are really starting to be leveraged. And there's more and more and more money that's going into this space. Uh, last year, there was record numbers of deals in mental health tech. Mental health tech is probably the hottest sector right now uh, in in the VC space, if you're not talking about like, unless it's Clubhouse, like, <laughs> that's like the hottest the hottest thing out there is mental health technology we're seeing more and more dollars go into it and we're also seeing uh legislation change around different types of therapies and different types of uh of treatment protocols that i think have a lot i mean i i have i have no professional opinion on like entheogens and psychedelics and all of those types of things uh but just from my own personal experience and again please do your research um that those have a lot of potential and then medications are just going to continue to get better and better and better as we start to understand the impacts of these things on our brains. So, so we've got tether really is trying to change the social construct around Ben making sure that they're empowered to use all of these various items and making sure that it's okay. And that that's not something that they should fall into the trap of the, 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 the previous social construct. I also wonder if you can talk to the young men, right? Mm-hmm. So, so before, you know, if you think back to your childhood struggling as a young man, you got through mm-hmm. it, but if you don't get through it and, and you choose a path of some other thing mm-hmm. um, and you're not wise enough potentially mm-hmm. to, to engage in the conversation that we've had, and say, oh, it's okay to get help. You're just you're just trapped as a as a teenager or a late teenager. How have you had much experience with that? Does Tether help in that regard? Can can you comment about how how those young men might um, <clears throat> might seek guidance or how parents might watch for uh, signs of anything? Yeah, um, I mean, so I mean, Tether is an eighteen plus platform, and I'm okay. by no means. Uh, an expert when it comes to, you know, uh, early adolescent uh, or, ad- or or teenage uh, mental health. Uh, it's really tricky because the brain is still developing uh, in large part at that stage. Like, 
you know, major behavioral changes are definitely something uh, to look out for. Obsessive behaviors are definitely something to look out for. But I actually, you know, from the perspective of what do you do with children, I think it's really on us to model that behavior because at this point we we should know a little bit better, right? So I think it's on us as as men who are leading and men who have children, not, not that I have children, um, but as men who are leading and, you know, for you guys as men who have children is really, you know, allowing your children to come to you with struggle and especially male children to come to you with struggle and it not be something where it's like, you know, oh, just suck it up or like, let's push it aside. And I remember um, you, like, it's funny, Mike, because you, we actually had this talk, but in a very different context. Right. And, and, and we actually talked about this uh, from the perspective of when you're on the phone with a potential client, but it actually really applies to working with other people. Uh, when somebody says something to you, I remember there was like a different levels of listening that we had. Right. And I, I think, you know, where I'm going with this, right. Um, where it's like, it sounds like you're really upset about this. Right. Or it sounds like it sounds like you're feeling really anxious and it may be related to something like this. Well, by doing that, what you're showing is a couple things. You're showing empathy. Right. You're showing patience. Right. You're showing that it's acceptable. And you're also showing that you're listening to the person. Right. And that more than anything is really what resolves so much of, of, of a feeling in a person is really just letting that child know that they are heard, that they are seen. Um, and that you don't think any less of them because of what they're going through. So again, I think it's really incumbent upon us as, as you know, as, as, as men to actually learn how to hold space for each other. And as a result, hold space for, for people that are younger. And then this starts to really get, you know, really juicy in our, in our, in our relationships with everybody, because if you're somebody that has, that is emotionally aware. There is a certain grounding and a certain energy to you. And I keep pointing up and down um, because there is this sort of connection with like, you know, maybe let's call it like a different type of energy, but there's a grounding. And I was mentioning a book to you guys earlier. And so for anybody that is watching right now, that's how I got to do it. This is a great book. If you want to start to investigate, well, tell, tell them the title. It's sorry. You're right. I figured because it was thing. Uh, King Warrior Magician Lover. I forgot this is also a podcast and not just a live stream. Um, and you can get that book on Amazon right now. And it goes into the four main archetypes of male psychology. And one of the most interesting archetypes is actually the king archetype. It layers on top of all of the other archetypes. Um, and it has a certain quality and a certain presence. It's that wise knowing grandfather that you just feel comfortable and loved around where it doesn't have to be about him he's there to listen to you there's nurturing he asks you how you're doing right and and you're not able to do that unless there's a certain rooting that you have in yourself if you can get to a place where you feel comfortable with yourself with your emotions with what's coming up and you are like you're 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 profoundly connected to an inner knowing of who you are and that really only comes from actually going through the shit and and actually feeling what you're feeling and getting in there and talking about it and really you know digging deep and it's and by the way this is going to hurt a little bit right this is not going to be a fun process for you all the time but on the other side of it what i can promise you is that there is 
a significantly deeper level of being and existence and a richness to life that doesn't manifest itself necessarily in just like, oh, I got to jump out of bed. And, you know, I'm just like happy all the time. But there's a there's a groundedness to you. There's a rootedness to you. And that actually starts to reflect in your relationships when you can simply sit there and ask people and not feel the need to actually talk. And I know I'm a bad example of that today because I've been rambling on and on and on and on today. You're, but the, if, you're the guest. You're supposed yeah, right, to. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm supposed to add a little bit of flavor. You're allowed. This, right. <laughs> but like what's super interesting is like uh, as i've gone through this transformation i actually do genuinely want to be heard less and i want to listen more um and and it's because i just i'm not trying to prove myself as much anymore and so this is a very long and roundabout way of saying that the work that we do as men uh, actually becomes the healing that our children and the next generation receives Right. And it's only through that. And, and it's through that rooting that you find in yourself. Like you can't pass along something that you don't have. Right. That's I think that's like pretty much, you know, a principle of anything. It's like if, if I don't know it, if I can't explain it, if I don't fully understand it, I can't give it to you. I can't teach it. to you, Right. So first, it's something that we have to do in ourselves. Right. Um, and then the second thing is like this concept of holding space and making it safe to express, you know, for people who are younger to express themselves emotionally. And I think it's important that there is an encouragement and, 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 and it's, we sound like we're being pedantic or, you know, you know, um, uh, or we're talking down to them, but like actually being like saying, like, listen, it is okay for you to be feeling this way. Even that's that one sentence alone has such a profound impact, genuinely asking how that person is doing, you know, actually being like, you know, you seem like you're a little bit about upset right now. What's going on? But like, and not doing it just because you feel like you should, but doing it because you actually are going to spend the time because kids also know that they can see through the bullshit. They know if you're asking how you're doing um, because you're just asking how they're doing, but like actually caring about how they're doing is a very different thing. And that, that permeates all relationships. If you can actually start asking people how they're doing from a genuine sense of curiosity and wanting to actually know what's going on with them, everything transforms in terms of your relationships with other people. Um, and that's, I think, when things start to get really juicy and good. Uh, but in terms of kids, I mean, you know, for kids, it starts with us. It starts with us modeling the behavior uh, and that's positive attitudes towards openness, vulnerability and sharing. And, and being curious, and, and that's something that you always kind of taught me, Mike, was like actually being curious to hear what the other person has to say and being like, tell me more about that. The same things still work. Tell me more about that is actually one of the most powerful things that you can say to another person um, if you don't know what else to say. Buys you time to think about things, right? I think I learned that from Adam. Uh, right. <laughs> well, I learned it from one of you guys. Right? But tell me more about that is a really powerful statement. Right. Yeah, and and I just that in my IBM sales training, dude. Like, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> is that where it comes from? I thought it must be like Dan Finley like, or something early, like that. Er, like, yeah, early 2000s, man. Yeah, shout out to Dan Finley. This is a much more constructive this. context, man. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyways, like I don't, that's kind of where I land on that. Well, that's pretty awesome. I mean, I, I always find it, I find it interesting. So, you know, being, being someone who struggled with dyslexia, so I'm a dyslexic and, um, 
it's interesting that I view the educational system through a particular lens because if, mm-hmm. if you know, if you had the, the library set up there and the library only had these very large steps and someone in a wheelchair couldn't get in there um, to use the library, everyone would cry out in horror. Um, yet if you have someone who has some sort of learning disability and they have access to the library, they really don't have access to the library, mm-hmm. but no one really cares. And I sort of liken that to if men are having this, these health issues, it really, it's sort it, the caring is starting. And I think what you're saying is, Hey, there is help, there is access and it's okay to ask for it. Mm-hmm. And that's the key is that it's no different than any other type of sickness or illness. Mm-hmm. It requires attention. It, it requires the appropriate treatments. It's not your week. That's not the answer. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that empowering men to to um, be OK with that vulnerability is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, OK, so Tether is is spelt a funny way, too. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find <laughs> it and all that funny stuff? Because, we, uh, you know, want to make I sure know, that we, gets... we've got like another 10 minutes or whatever before we oh, all. Yeah, kinda... If you're if you're good for 10, I got, minutes, I got another good. 10, man. So we don't we don't have to wrap up yet. What did we miss? I know. Well, I mean, I, I, what I don't, didn't we ask? I don't think it's that, you know, we didn't ask anything. Like, I, I think what's so, I think what's great is that like, you know, I mean, you know, granted, you know, we have, we have a, you know, a, a, a very deeply personal context uh, that is preceding this, this conversation. Right. But I think it's really important that you guys are going outside of, you know, what you typically deliver in terms of content, what you typically deliver, because I think it's so important to throw that hook to people once in a while, right, to keep them off balance um, and to give them something that may expand their view, because I really do believe, and this is kind of where it comes back to the industry as a whole and the finance industry as a whole, right? It's like all of the stuff that people, you know, rail on finance, you know, for like the destructive behavior, like, the, the, the misogyny, like all of those things that we typically associate with the underbelly of finance, I think is like in large part there because a lot of these guys are grown up boys that have never been given permission to cry, right? And so what ends up happening is you've been told that you're not allowed to express yourself emotionally. What are the emotions that men are allowed to, uh, to express? Anger is a really good one. Uh, power is is like and, and and all of that like force and energy that comes with it and this is actually where that book really starts to get into it really well because you have this triangle right with any like so the archetypes have like a, a, a peak version and then they have descended versions to them right and, and so i would say go to the book read king warrior magician lover because so much of this stuff uh, is 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 really just about these archetypes kind of gone wrong, but within the finance related industry, right? It's it's so interesting that there are so many guys out there that are over over sharing, like overdoing the aggression, or you know, sticking out their chest, the the suits that they wear, the cars that they drive. It's all about overcompensation, right? And what is that compensation for? It's compensation for like a deep level of inadequacy. And there's there is something underneath that. There are there are men that are just grown up boys that are feeling really sad. 
that never, you know, were never told that it was okay to cry and that it was okay to express emotionally. And so what they do is they push that down. They push their feelings down. They push it aside. And then it starts to come out in all of these, you know, these different paths. And like, I, I am by absolute no means a saint when it comes to this, right? Like, I know this because I have experienced it firsthand and, and I have absolutely been at that place where it's like all I wanted to do was show you how manly I was, how much I could close, how much money I was going to make, you know, the house that I was going to live in. I wanted all of that. Um, and, and then when I started to actually go underneath the hood, what I realized was like I was just really sad. I was really sad. I felt really alone. Um, I didn't feel like I was good enough. I didn't feel like I measured up to anybody or anything in this world. Um, and, and then so, I need to start to go and like repair all of that. So Matt, so we have, we have a male dominated field. It has yeah. all of those, those archetypes in it. Someone's mm -hmm. feeling that way right now and they're watching this. What mm -hmm. should they do? Uh, first of all, download Tether. Um, and that's, you know, <laughs> www.tether.men. Come on. I, I, I got it. <laughs> sure. This is now the close. Now there's the softball. I know. It's like it's coming in. It's like really, it's a meatball. Um, How do you spell tether? T-E-T-H-R. So it's www.tether.men. Uh, and that's T-E-T-H-R. You can find us on social media at Tether for Men, both on Instagram and on Twitter. If you're not, if you're not ready to share, I would just say just go in and just look at what the other guys are saying. Just scroll through, and and what you'll start to notice is that there is a space where these conversations can happen, and maybe you don't do anything with that for a long period of time, and that is totally okay. But if you are feeling like there's something missing, if, if you do feel like you want more purpose and meaning in your life, if you do feel like you want better relationships with other people, there are avenues that you can go down. There are men's groups, uh, I mean, not right now, but Pre-COVID, there was men's retreats. There's a lot of uh, men's groups that meet online weekly. Therapy is great. Start the process. Just take that first baby step. And, you know, what I can tell you is that, you know, that first step is going to feel like you're wearing cement shoes. But, like, the cement will start to crumble away the more you start to rub that on the ground, right? It'll just start to saw itself off. It'll start to peel away. Uh, you'll start to feel lighter and you'll start to feel like like your life matters more. Um, and, and, and again, this is a journey. This is not a, there is no end state to this. This is something that I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. This is something that we're all going to be doing for the rest of our lives. Um, and I think getting in that mindset of it being a journey and then also finding that team of guys that can be on that journey with you. One of the biggest powers of peer support is that the men in our community no longer feel like they're walking that path alone. Therapy, self-improvement, reading books, so much of that is done in isolation. But what we know, and there's this saying um, in psychology that women heal face-to-face -face and men heal shoulder-to-shoulder. -shoulder. Um, and there's very much this idea, and, and like if we look at sports as an example, right? There is such a deep, profound connection that happens within a sports locker room. And if you look at what the Seattle Seahawks are doing with Pete Carroll, he's very much trying to introduce a little bit more emotional vulnerability into his players and into his locker room culture. And that's because when you bond at that level, you're actually willing to do a lot more crazy shit than when you're not bonded at that level. The deeper the connection, the more you're willing to go to bat for that person. So I would say just start to reach out. 
start to find those people in your life that you can actually begin having those conversations with. If it needs to be a therapist and truly safe, I would totally start there. But know that there are other men out there who are on this path and that are doing this as a collective and as a team. Yeah, and I, th I think if you're if you're feeling alone and you're somewhere, um, regardless of finance, but I, I just I envision mm -hmm. a lot of finance professionals and the, the myriad of men who are in different positions and are just feeling alone for whatever reason and don't know where to go. It's pretty anonymous and innocuous to go download an app and start to begin the process of watching others share, just observing others having vulnerable conversations mm -hmm. and realize that in your loneliness, you are not alone. Mm -hmm. And you're just needing to find your conduit for which you can start to share and start to build more relationships. You're just not alone. We know you feel alone, mm -hmm. but you're not alone. And, you know, a pretty great place to start if you're, you know, sort of feeling really alone is the anonymity of an app. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're all so hard on ourselves generally as men, we're very hard on ourselves. We don't allow ourselves anything. We are a brick wall to ourselves as opposed to having a backbone or some flexibility and give ourselves permission to recognize we made a mistake uh, a week later, a month later, or a day later. Maybe sometime you can get it to an hour. And when you re get really good, sometimes in the moment. And I think that is kind of alludes to what you just said there, Matt, in terms of just like make progress. It's a journey. It's not... You know, you can have these moments where you have an aha, but it's even then, it's still a step on the journey. It's not necessarily the end. Um, and uh, wow, this has been fantastic. I can imagine we'll have a, a, another, uh, we'll have to do another call sometime. I look forward to, to seeing you again. Yeah, absolutely. And this be has nice been- nice to get together for beers or something. Yeah, yes. I know. Uh, yeah, why can I come person. down to the Cayman? Whenever you can get in. Yeah. Is it cut off right now? Like, no, no, yeah, outside. Or you have to, like, have, like, a, two, do they have to stick weeks. a twig up your nose first? Three times. Three twigs, two weeks. One Come on out to Oakville. Yeah. <laughs> Sometime, a few months from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I mean, listen, like, as soon as, as soon as they start to let me go places, I, I'm definitely going to be coming down. Uh, I, 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 Rodrigo told me that I could sleep in the bottom of his pool. So I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> He's such a giver, that guy. That's right. I know. He's really. Like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fantastic. That well, may be thank the only you. place in his house that, that he could find. <laughs> but it's available at the piece, moment. I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and the piece. I'll sleep yeah, in the true. closet. Yeah, yeah. Volunteer, I'd volunteer to be in the bottom of the pool. <laughs> oh, this is great. Well, thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Another Thanks, great Matt. Friday. Yeah. Thank so, you, Matt. And uh, if, if you enjoyed the Cheers. content, by all means, make sure you like and share. Uh, I think this particular episode has some, you know, far-reaching implications that can be shared more broadly in finance. So uh, smash the like button, write a review, send some comments in, hit up Tether, and have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to the Gestalt University podcast. You will find all the information we highlighted in this episode in the show notes at investresolve.com forward slash blog. You can also learn more about Resolve's approach to investing by going to our website and research blog at investresolve.com, where you will find over 200 articles that cover a wide array of important topics in the area of investing. We also encourage you to engage with the whole team on Twitter by searching the handle at investresolve and hitting the follow button. 
If you're enjoying the series, please take the time to share us with your friends through email, social media. And if you really learned something new and believe that our podcast would be helpful to others, we would be incredibly grateful if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and see you next time.